Hello, and welcome to Season 4 of Wait a Week Mystery. This is your host and author, J.C. Bodden. If you've been with me before, you'll know that each week I present a chapter from one of my novels. We've done three seasons so far, one for each of my first three books. If you're joining us in the middle of things, then you might want to go back and start at the beginning, or at the very least, the beginning of a season. Each book is standalone, but they are all part of the series and flow basically in chronological order. So, on to this week's podcast, in which I'll be reading to you from my novel Night Watch, which is the fourth book in the Devlin O'Quinn series. If you like what you hear and can't wait a week for the next chapter, Night Watch, as well as the other three books in the series, is available in both Kindle and paperback format from Amazon. And as always, if you'd like to order this or any of my books, click on the link in the podcast info to visit my website, jcbodden.com. Now let's not wait any longer. Here we go with episode 406 of Night Watch, Chapter 6. It was a long-standing tradition, Guy's Night at Devlin's Place. Since he and Elliot had been married, it had been cut down from every other week to the last Thursday of the month. Elliot had passed the word among the men that, for October, it would be tonight, the third Thursday. She expected the usual, Devlin's son-in-law, Joe, his childhood friend and former brother-in-law, Mickey, and Roger Dubose from the force. She hoped that it would help Devlin, both in terms of his mood and his memory. Joe was the first to arrive, a little after five. He kissed Elliot on the cheek and ruffled Reese's hair. Hey, Joe, Elliot smiled, making sure he could see her face. Joe was nearly completely deaf, but an excellent lip reader. Thanks for coming. Devlin is dying to get out of the house. Think you could get him down to the dock for a little fishing? Be glad to, Ellie, Joe smiled. I've got a cooler of beer down there for you guys, and there's some pizza, too. Now, Ellie, Joe said, don't go overboard. It's guys' night. We're supposed to handle everything, not be waited on hand and foot by you. I know. I'm fixing to get out of here. Reese and I have a play date at your house. The doorbell rang, and Elliot turned to open it just as Devlin was working his way down the hallway. Hey, Joe, Devlin said as the two shook hands. The two of them turned to see Elliot open the door for Mickey. Roger was just walking up the steps behind him. Hey guys, Elliot said with a warm smile. I'm glad y'all could come tonight, even though it's a little off schedule. She kissed each one on the cheek as they stepped through the door. Wouldn't miss it, Mickey said brusquely as he reached out to shake Devlin's hand. It was the first time since Devlin had been in the hospital that Mickey had seen him. The swelling on his face was nearly gone, but the stitches still remained over his eye, and the discoloration around his eye and jaw had turned to a dark purple. How you doing, you handsome son of a bitch, Mickey said. His words were light, but his voice was rough with emotion. How much longer you got to be in that chair? Devlin shifted his weight and ran his fingers through his hair. Doc says I got to stay off my ankle for two more weeks, then he'll put me in a walking cast. I'm hoping I can get crutches soon, maybe tomorrow. I've got a doctor's appointment. In the meantime, I'm getting pretty good at balancing on one leg. Roger leaned forward and shook Devlin's hand. Hey, Dev, he said quietly. Any news? Devlin asked, carefully studying Roger's tired face. No, man, nothing. We'll get there, though, Dev. I swear. Don't worry about a thing. Devlin smiled, but he didn't move his eyes from Roger's face. I'm not worried, Rog. After a second of awkward silence, Joe spoke up. Hey, Devlin, Elliot thinks we should go down to the dock and do a little fishing. I bet the three of us can get you down there. What do you say? Devlin smiled and nodded. I'd say that Elliot knows me pretty well. Apparently better than I know her. He chuckled at the stunned look on the other men's faces. 
Hey, come on, it's just a little head injury humor. But seriously, I've been a royal pain in the ass cooped up here in the house all week. Let's go. Devlin turned his wheelchair toward the back door, Mickey and Joe trailing him. Roger turned to Elliot, who was still standing by the front door, raising her arms. Don't you worry either, Elliot, Roger said to her, his voice low, eyes intense. I'll get these bastards, I swear. He put his hand across Reese's back, rubbing small circles. Elliot smiled. Thanks, Roger. I'm not sure it would help, I mean, in terms of Devlin's memory, but thanks. Reese suddenly stuck his fingers in his mouth and turned to look at Roger, whose hand was still on his back. The baby's eyes grew wide and unfocused. Then suddenly, without warning, he let out a loud wail. Devlin and Mickey turned to see what was wrong. Hey, Roger, what'd you do to him? Pinch him? Devlin teased. Roger jerked his hand off the crying child's back, rubbing it across his shirt. I didn't do anything, he stammered, looking from Elliot to Devlin. Just as suddenly as it had started, the crying jag stopped. Reese hiccuped and looked at his mother. Everyone laughed. Okay, y'all, I'm out of here. Guy's night has officially begun. Reese is just pissed that he's not old enough to participate. She scooped the diaper bag in her purse from the coffee table and traipsed down the garage stairs. The dog was at the end of a long flight of stairs down the hill from the house. Devlin wrapped his arm around Joe's shoulder while Joe held his arm around Devlin's waist. Devlin leaned on the wooden railing and the two picked their way carefully down. Mickey led the procession, spotting Devlin from below. Roger followed along behind, ready to grab his belt should he stumble. Shug used the grass at the side of the steps. At the bottom, Devlin let out a long breath. Well, thanks, guys. It'll be a while before we have to go back up, thank God. Elliot, true to her word, had left a cooler full of beer and a stack of takeout pizzas still in their boxes for the men. The floating dock rocked gently in the water as the men moved out onto it. Devlin sat at the end of the bench that ran around the back sides of the structure. Joe handed him a rod and reel. Mickey popped a beer for him. Shook found a dirty tennis ball and dropped it on the dock at Devlin's feet. When all four of the men had beers in their hands, Devlin raised his in a toast. Here's to guys, Knight. Here, here, the men nodded in approval and all drank deeply. There was a long silence and then Devlin spoke again. Shit, man, this ain't my wake. Get your goddamn fishing rods and start fishing. The other three grinned sheepishly and did as instructed. Devlin picked up the ball and tossed it into the river, careful to put it as far away from the fishing lures as he could. He felt a twinge in his shoulder and ribs, but the pain seemed more like that of working out the kinks than doing actual damage. He figured it was good for him, therapeutic in fact. After a few minutes, things on the dock began to feel more normal. Conversation began. Football, the World Series, work, football again. The men began to relax. Shug retrieved ball after ball, each time dropping it at Devlin's feet. If he didn't pick it up and throw it soon enough to suit her, she would nudge his knee to remind him. It occurred to him that she had felt just as housebound as he over the past week. The men, for their part, almost forgot Devlin's attack, his injuries, his memory loss. After all, he remembered all of them. Even Joe, by far the youngest of the group, had known him for years, ever since Devlin had worked the case against the man who had murdered Joe's mother. Several fish were caught, all fairly small brim. All were tossed back. The sun set. The moon rose. As night settled on the river, the men became quiet. There was a porch light behind them, shining on the stairs, but the dock was shrouded in what dim moonlight shone through the trees. Joe was the first to stop talking. After all, he couldn't read lips very well in the darkness, but he really didn't mind. 
He was used to quiet, and the others were used to him being quiet. Finally, in the darkness, Devlin set down his beer and looked at Roger. I want you to tell me about the case, he said. Roger, standing on the corner of the dock opposite Devlin, turned to him, then looked back at his lure skimming across the surface of the water. Like I said, there's not really much to tell, Dev, he said. The lure popped up out of the water to the end of his rod. He flicked it out into the river again. There's got to be something, Raj, Devlin said. I understand you not wanting to talk in front of Elliot, but come on, man. What about the tire tracks? Standard truck, SUV issue, Ford, GMC, Chevy, nothing special, match about a gazillion vehicles in Alabama alone. Bloodstains match my DNA? Yeah. No one else's blood there? Mandy isn't finished testing all the samples yet. There were over a hundred. She's working on it. Sorry, Dev. Any other physical evidence? Not much. No prints? None that we got any hits on. Shit. Roger turned on his heel, threw his rod down on the deck. The three other men stared at him. I'm doing the best I can, Devlin, he said, his voice suddenly shaky with barely controlled anger. Devlin blinked several times. I'm sure you are, Raj, he said gently. I'm just frustrated, that's all. It's not your fault. The hell it's not, Roger said. He turned and stomped up the stairs toward the house. In the darkness, they could see the flare of a match as he lit a cigarette. Then the back door slammed shut. Next came the front door. After a moment, they heard his car roar to life and tires skid across the driveway. Mickey looked at Devlin, then stepped across the dock and picked up Roger's fishing rod. What the hell do you suppose that was all about, he asked as he reeled in the line. Devlin sighed and ran his fingers through his hair. Something's eating at him, Mickey. Mickey snorted. You think? But I don't think it has to do with my case. At least not directly. When was the last time you saw him? Mickey leaned Roger's rod against the dock bench and made a cast with his own as he thought back. It's been a while. He hasn't been coming to Guy's night. His line popped and he jerked the rod tip up. Damn, lost him. The big one got away. They always do. He finished reeling in his lure, then scratched his head. I guess it was at church when Reese was baptized. When was that? He and little Tess were baptized the same day. It was August 30th, I think. Joe will know. Maybe we should go up. He glanced at his foster son. Joe had picked up Shug's ball and was bouncing it on the deck as he tried to follow Mickey and Devlin's conversation. Shug's eyes never left the ball. Mickey felt a little guilty leaving Joe out. Did he spend time with us? Come to the house after church? Anything like that? Did you talk to him much? No. Y'all had a cookout for everyone here. You know, Jenny and Joe and their three kids. Tilly and I brought all our youngsters from Twin Oaks. Travis and Yolanda were here. Some of the other guys from the police station. Teresa Menendez and her husband. Some friends of Jenny's from her school. Lynn and Blake, Anna Grace. There was food, swimming, boating, fishing. A typical O'Quinn day on the river. God, Dev, you were a proud papa that day. Mickey's eyes misted, wishing his friend could remember. But Roger and Mindy didn't come? No. Why? Because Roger looks like hell, and I want to know how long he's looked like that. And if he's looked like that for a while, I want to know why the hell I hadn't noticed it before now. Elliot stayed at Jenny's until Joe got back. She wanted to make sure the men had plenty of time together. Besides, she planned to get a report on the evening from Joe. So, she asked as he helped her out to the car. Reese had long ago fallen asleep, his two middle fingers tucked into his mouth. 
Joe carried the child as Elliot opened the car door and deposited her bags on the floor. Elliot made sure the glow from the dome light crossed her face. How was it? Joe considered his answer. He had a tremendous amount of affection and respect for both Devlin and Elliot. He didn't want to upset her, but he knew he couldn't lie to her either. He seems okay, I guess, he replied, trying to find a middle ground. That didn't satisfy her. Did he ask any questions, want anyone to fill him in on the past two years? We talked about football, the World Series, you know, guy stuff. That's it? He talked to Roger about the case. Any progress? No. Roger got pissed and left. Roger left? Yeah, I think he was mad because Devlin asked him about the case. Maybe he thought Devlin was pressuring him. I don't really know. And Devlin didn't ask any questions about... Any questions that would help his memory? No, I don't think so. It got dark while we were fishing. I had trouble following the conversation. But you don't think he wanted y'all to tell him things, help him remember? No. Don't you think that's a little odd? Odd? Joe's blue eyes searched Elliot's face. I mean, she said as she pushed at her hair. He hasn't asked me much. Just a few things. This whole week, only a couple of questions. Was Reese planned? Who's in this picture? That sort of thing. He did remember where Reese's name came from, for what that's worth. I mean, I know that's a step in the right direction. Still, if I'd lost my memory, I'd be asking everything I could, talking constantly, trying to remember it all. Joe positioned Reese in the car seat and pulled his fingers out of his mouth to snap the buckles. As soon as he released Reese's hand, the chubby fingers popped right back in place. Joe turned back to Elliot. Devlin's a detective. He figures things out. He notices everything, files it away. Then, when he's ready, he pieces it all together. He's treating this like a case. It's what he does. He asks questions when he's on a case. Joe shrugged. Yeah, but as he needs to. I mean, too much information all at once can be just as bad as not enough. I'm just guessing here, Elliot, but that's my take on it. Give him time. He'll come around. He put his hand on her arm and squeezed it gently. Elliot looked again into his face. He was a good man. Funny that he used the same phrase Devlin had. She smiled wistfully. Remember the club? Joe nodded. The people who love O'Quinn's club. She wiped a tear from her cheek as she climbed into the car. I'm glad you're in it with me, Joe. After Elliot left, Joe went inside. Jenny was in the kitchen, finishing up the dishes. He went up behind her and hugged her as she stood at the sink. After a moment, she turned to look at him. What's wrong, baby? Nothing. I love you, Joe said softly. I love you, too. It's hard, you know, what's going on with your dad. If I ever forgot you, how I feel about you, I'd be lost. Jenny ran her fingers down the side of Joe's face. You won't forget, she whispered. You're the only girl I ever loved. I know, she smiled. Elliot's the one that this is hardest for, really, Joe continued, his voice rough with emotion. I mean, he remembers you and me, everyone else but Tess and Reese. And they're so young it doesn't really impact them. But Elliot, his voice trailed off. Are you trying to make me sad, Jenny said, her voice now full of emotion. Oh, God, no, Jen, I'm sorry. Joe took her face in his hands and kissed her tenderly. When their lips parted, he smiled at her. 
It's just that this whole thing has reminded me to, you know, pay attention. I'm sorry if I've been taking you and the kids for granted. Life is short and unpredictable. So, I just want to say I love you. I love the kids. Our life. And thanks for loving me back. Tears now streamed down Jenny's cheeks. Come on, Jen. Joe tugged her hand. Forget the dishes. I want to show you what I mean. Let's go to bed. Elliot was pleasantly surprised when she got back to the house that Mickey's car was still in the driveway. He helped her bring Reese up the stairs and laid him in his crib. Thanks, Mickey, she said as the two left the nursery. Elliot pulled the door shut behind them. How was everything tonight? Oh, it was fine. Well, Roger had a little temper tantrum, but other than that, it was a good evening. Thanks for inviting me. The two of them had made it back to the living room where Devlin was sitting in his wheelchair. You know, Mickey, he began, you never need an invitation to come over here. Elliot smiled and patted his arm. Of course, Devlin's right, Mickey. Neither you nor Tilly need an invitation. Y'all are always welcome in this house. Mickey laid his hand over Elliot's arm. Well, I'm going to be going. I think Dev here is more tired out than he wants to let on by that trip down to the dock and back. He leaned over and kissed Elliot on the cheek. Take care of yourself and Reese. He looked over at Devlin. Oh, yeah, and this big lug, too. Elliot closed the door softly behind Mickey and turned to Devlin. Is he right? Did the trip to the dock wear you out? Devlin shrugged his shoulders. Maybe a little. I'm okay. Listen, Elliot, I wanted to ask you. He ran his fingers through his hair. Elliot came around and sat on the couch, watching his expression carefully. When was the last time... I mean, before all this happened, when was the last time that I said anything to you about Roger? About Roger? She was surprised that he would ask that, but she tried not to let it show. She thought about what Joe had said, that Devlin was working all this out in his mind as if he was solving a case. Um, I don't really remember. Why? Mickey said he came to church the day Reese and Tess were baptized, but didn't come over here for the party after? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Devlin was quiet, staring at the darkened window as he mulled this over. Wondering how this was related to his memory loss, Elliot interrupted his thoughts. Joe and Mickey both mentioned that Roger left in a huff tonight. What's up with that? He ran his fingers through his hair again as he looked at her. He was startled at the intensity of her look. He had known she was beautiful. There was no mistaking that. Her skin was golden brown. Silky black hair framed a face made exotic by high cheek bones that bespoke her Cherokee heritage, and he certainly enjoyed making love to her. But tonight there was something else, as she sat in the soft glow of light from the lamp at the end of the couch, that tugged at the back of his brain. For a long moment he was speechless, completely distracted. He actually had to break eye contact and clear his throat before he could speak. What? She smiled. The look on his face reminded her of the first time they met. Roger? He nodded as he said, Oh, yeah, Roger. Mickey and I talked about him. I don't know what's going on with him. He looked at her again. Once again, there was that tug in his head. Suddenly, Roger seemed totally unimportant. Listen, I don't want to talk about him anymore tonight. He's being a jerk about this whole thing. Let's not spend any more time on him right now. Elliot's smile deepened. Well, what would you like to talk about? Tell me about the first time we met. This was the kind of conversation she had been hoping for, waiting for. She patted the couch. 
Devlin stood from his wheelchair and in two hops had settled beside her. He propped his cast ankle on the coffee table. She took his hand in hers. Thinking about what Joe had said, too much information could be just as bad as not enough, she considered what to tell and what to leave out. You came to my office in Montgomery. You had shot a dog that was attacking Joe. A reporter had asked you some questions that made you worried that you needed an attorney. You wanted someone from out of town, and you got my name from Larry Johnson. You weren't really prepared. She stopped and squeezed his hand. I wasn't prepared. What's that supposed to mean? I mean, uh, you didn't know I was a woman. When I met you? No, silly, before we met. Because of my name being Elliot. You were expecting a man. Oh, okay. I thought for a minute there I was an idiot. Because I definitely know you're a woman. Even the second time I met you in the hospital, all doped up on painkillers, I knew you were a woman. A damn fine woman at that. She smiled and squeezed his hand again. Thank you. The second time you met me. I like that. Well, anyway, the first time you were sort of an idiot. You had a lot of trouble talking to me. I did? Yes, at first you were kind of tongue-tied. Her voice grew playful. Must have been because I'm such a damn fine woman. Then she grew serious again. But when you actually got started, you told me a lot of stuff about Jenny's abduction and how Carrie Wagner was killed. And you told me about Tess, that the drunk driver who killed her, James, pulled a gun on you, and Roger shot and killed him. The reporter who had been to interview you about the dog shooting pointed out that everyone who harms a member of your family ends up dead. That's what had worried you, made you think you would need a lawyer. She paused. It would take a lot more to explain how that very reporter was now dating her sister in Montgomery and working on a collaboration with Devlin to write the story of the Hitchhiker Hits. She stuck to this part of the story. You were so, I don't know, so strong, defiant almost, once you got started. You paced back and forth, you know how you do, explaining it all. I was completely enthralled. And that's when, her voice had trailed to a whisper, he looked at her and saw the sadness, the pain. That's when what? he asked softly. That's when I fell in love with you. It was four in the morning. Devlin bolted up in bed, then gasped at the pain from his ribs. Tears were streaming down his face. He had been dreaming about his first wife, Tess. He wiped at the tears with a shaky hand. Elliot rolled over and realized he was sitting up. What's wrong? Do you need a pain pill? Can I get you something? Her voice was groggy with sleep. No, I'm fine. She noticed the roughness in his tone and sat up, his, her hand on his back. What's wrong? She asked again, this time in a whisper. I had a dream. About Tess. You remember this one? Yeah, I've had this one lots of times. His voice was still rough. Wanna talk about it? He eased back down on his pillow and threw his arm across his forehead. No. Yes. I don't know. She was quiet for a moment. It might help, she said as she settled beside him. It won't change anything. Of course not. It took him so long to begin that she had started to think he wasn't going to tell her anything. Finally he spoke, haltingly at first, then with more and more rhythm. At first everything is good. We're on the dock. Tess kisses me. Jenny's there with us. 
Tess is laughing, playing with the baby. Then everything changes. It's night. The night. Roger and Chief Sullivan, he was chief before Miller, are at the door. Roger tells me Tess was in an accident. He tells me her neck was broken, that she's dead. He's crying. I don't believe him. I call him a liar. I even try to punch him. He wouldn't have let me, but Chief Sullivan stops me. Then I'm at the hospital, in the room with her. I can't believe she's gone. She looks so peaceful, except for one little tiny cut on her forehead and a bruise on her neck. She doesn't even have any marks on her. It looks like she's asleep. I tell her to stop it, to wake up. I yell at her, even shake her. I'm, I'm so angry and scared. Roger comes in. I cry and cry, and Roger just holds me. His voice trailed off as fresh tears ran down his face. He turned to her, searching her face in the moonlit darkness. I never told you that before, did I? She rubbed the goosebumps on her arms. No. The part about the night she died is pretty much exactly how it happened. I used to have that dream all the time. Wake up sobbing, just like tonight. But you haven't had it in a long time. No, I haven't had that dream in years. Not that I remember, anyway. Before when you had it, it was fresh. When you were still grieving. Why did I have it tonight? Just because you said something about Tess? Elliot took a moment to think. No, I don't think so. I think that tonight it was more about Roger than Tess. Roger? You're worried about Roger. Yeah. That night Roger was there for you when you needed him. Yeah, he was. And now you're worried that something's wrong and you don't know how to help him, how to be there for him. Elliot didn't tell him about the argument they had had right before he left for his near-fatal run, the one where he mistakenly called her Tess, the one where they both realized that, now that Reese was six months old, Devon was dealing with the memories of his first wife's death all over again. Something told her that this nightmare might have been related to that, but she just couldn't bring herself to explain it all. After all, she had her own bad dreams to deal with. Devlin was silent for a long time, considering. Finally, he put his arms around Elliot and pulled her close, kissing her on the forehead. Thank you, he whispered. The two fell back asleep that way, tangled in each other's arms. That concludes this week's chapter of Night Watch. Thanks for listening. To find out what happens next, please come back for episode 407 of Wait a Week Mystery or visit jcbodden.com to order the book. And as always, I hope your wait is a happy one. <laughs>